This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I sit down each week with a different guest and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guests, yes, that is plural. My guests this week are Jenny and Dave Mars. They have been restoring and renovating historic homes since 2004. They are the stars of HGTV's Fixer to Fabulous, where they showcase their work in their beautiful hometown and surrounding area of Bentonville, Arkansas. They have millions of viewers, and yet they stay true to their renovation philosophy. A home should reflect the personality of the ones who live there. Perfection is never the goal. Beautiful spaces are often imperfect and full of character, just like a family. Whether they're in their corner of Arkansas or traveling the world, Jenny and Dave have their priorities straight. Faith, family, and community drive everything they do. Jenny just released her debut book, House Plus Love Equals Home, Creating Warm, Intentional Spaces for a Beautiful Life. It came out in November, and this book is a welcoming guide for anyone interested in transforming their house into a home that is a warm, inviting, and full of love place. It has photos, personal essays, and tips on how to intentionally renovate the 12 different spaces at a home that they most commonly work on. And this book really shares their journey of establishing their own home and balancing their ever-growing family with a busy, sustainable business and TV show. This was such a fun conversation. My daughter, Lily, loves Fixer to Fabulous. She just loves Fixer Upper TV shows. I also love uh, TV shows where we watch home renovations. I mean, I talk about that a little bit on the show, but this really was such a fantastic conversation. I also love the mission behind what Jenny and Dave do. You are going to love it. I'm telling you, it's going to be so much fun. So without further ado, on to my chat with Jenny and Dave Mars. Jenny, Dave, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Hello. Hello. Well, I am pumped about this um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, I just always love when I get to interview a couple. Like, it's just really fun. I don't know why Uh, I like being like a third wheel in an interview situation. It's just it's always a fun time. So that's number one. Number two, uh, I have to tell you that when my daughter was born. So my daughter is uh, 10 now. And when my daughter was born, so I have method to this madness of this story. Okay, I had a C-section with her. And I was already telling you a lot of information. And in (laughs) in my recovery, I was basically like stuck on the couch, you know, with the newborn for, you know, six plus weeks. And, um, I, that is where I got my addiction to not addiction. It's not that my love of HGTV. And so I like that it was, I don't know why, I guess it was cause like there was no more like Ricky Lake, you know, that's like what I would watch during the day. Like, like prices, right? Like good prices, right? Anyway, from like when I was a kid. 
And uh, so adult version of being on the couch all day was watching HGTV and shows like Island Hunters. Um, (laughs) Anyway, and so and now like 10 years later, my daughter also loves HGTV. She loves fixer upper type shows and uh, she loves fixer to fabulous. So I just going to tell her and she's just going to think that I'm the coolest person in the world um, that I'm interviewing you guys. Because, you know, I'm, you know, she's 10. And so she's kind of bordering on like, sometimes mom is cool. And sometimes mom is super embarrassing. So yes. when I tell her that I got to talk to you today, I'm going to be yes. real cool mom. So I just have to say thank you. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Our kids don't think we're cool. So there no. you go. Yeah. You know, okay, I'm glad. I some cool genuinely always wonder, like, like, do Brad Pitt's kids like, do they know that their dad is Brad Pitt? Like, are they, or are they just like, oh, dad, you're the worst, you know? Or like Tom Brady, like do his kids think he's cool or do they think yeah, he's like super embarrassing dad? Yeah. I think it's almost a pre- prerequisite for a kid that you don't want to do what your parents do. Yeah. It's not cool. Um, I, I don't know. And then once you re- you grow up, you realize like, oh, that, that was all right. Yeah, I like, didn't no, my dad was Tom Brady. My mom was Giselle Bunchen. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like that would be hard because that'd be like, oh, you never, you probably don't, probably are like, man, my mom's, you know, know. you secure. I, I feel know. Like. I'm just saying. My mom. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. Anyway, I realize this is incredibly random, but these are the things that I think about sometimes. Uh, so in any event, uh, well, let's dive in. Let's have you give us the Jenny and Dave 101. So who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Okay. So um, we're Jenny and Dave and we live in Arkansas. We live in Northwest Arkansas, Bentonville, which is the Northwest corner. We moved here in 2004. Dave grew up in Colorado. I grew up in Florida and we ended up in Arkansas. So that's a long story in and of itself. But we moved here because Dave's dad and brother had been here. They had moved here. Dave's brother was the first one to come here for college, the University of Arkansas, with his girlfriend at the time, who's now his wife. So you had knew of our Northwest Arkansas because of family and Decided to come here and start a building company with his dad and brother. I'm telling you're part of the story, but anyway, okay. you know <laughs> his dad and brother, or his dad was a builder in Colorado growing up. So they decided to start a company together and he asked if I would want to move here. So I quit my job and moved here. And here we are. Yeah. 20 years years later. Not not quite, almost. January 4th, I think, 2004 is when we moved. So almost almost 20 years. And we said, we'll come for two years. You can start building, see how it goes. And then we'll move back to Florida. That's what we told my parents. That was the plan. I still hear about it every day from her mom. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't happy. Yeah. So anyway, now, um, yeah, building and then the network and there's a lot in there, but anyway, make it short. The network heard about our town because of, um, a friend that lived here. And so they came to our town and asked around for people who were building and renovating homes. And we have quite a few historic homes in the area and we have a love for historic homes and restoring them. And so they came to us and asked us if we'd be interested in doing the show. And we said no um, a couple times. And then we finally decided to do it because we have a nonprofit. We have a lot of reasons we decided to do it that we felt like that was what God wanted us to do. We didn't really know why. So anyway, we said yes to doing a pilot, which was in 2000. Well, we did a sizzle in 2016, a pilot 2017. And we thought that would be it. 
that'd be the end, move on. And then they picked up a season and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> season five, uh, getting ready to air in what about a week now? Yeah. A week and a half. So, um, yeah. Well, so when this airs, it'll already have. Yeah. yeah. So season true. five has already aired. Yeah. yeah. So when you're listening to this, uh, you can go watch season five right now. Um, yes. Okay. Well, Dave, tell me your story about how you kind of were. Were you the the mastermind behind all this, or were you kind of being drug along? Like, where? How did this? You know, because I'm I love this story of you're just like, oh, well, we'll go up here for a little bit, and then all of a sudden, twenty years later, now you have a television show on HGTV, and you know. So, yeah, so we when I graduated from college, um, again, I think like we just talked about, I did not want to do what my dad did, yeah. uh, which built log homes, built homes in Colorado. Right. So uh, I went to uh, corporate America and that's how I met Jenny. Um, we were at the same company out of college. And yeah, I, I did that for about two years. Uh, both of us did where we we were moved. We moved around. I, I they they employed my first employment was here in Arkansas. Then I moved to Chicago. Then I moved to Austin. Then they wanted me to move to Philly. Um, Jenny at the same time was kind of moving all over the place. And I just you know what I was working for someone else. And I told Jenny I said I want to I want to go back to Arkansas and start building again. It's it's what I enjoy. It's what I love. And she thankfully agreed to try it for a few years. And yeah, we just, you know, really just started building, um, building mostly new construction and remodel until 2006, 2007 crash. And then we started buying old houses in our downtown and restoring old houses. I love old houses. I love the stories that they that they hold. I love the exterior detail on the trim. I love that there's no wasted space. And that's something both of us love. And yeah, so we just, we started restoring those. And then when HGTV came along, it, um, again, like Jenny said, it wasn't, we were actually, we had a pretty good, good business. We, um, things were going well. Uh, we didn't know that we wanted to expose our kids and our life and our family to all of America. So we didn't know. I did. I knew we did. I did not want to do it. Dave was more of the, yeah, but that's so, okay. So we had a, a good friend now, but he actually worked for the production company, Adam, uh, who said, Hey, can I meet you guys for coffee? And so we, we said, Oh, there's no harm in coffee. Right. So we went and we sat down with him and he said, you know, I've, I've, lo- I've followed your story and I've looked at your story of your daughter and your adoption process and your nonprofit mm-hmm. and your heart for taking you know, for the work that you do over in Africa. And he said, I, I'm just going to be upfront with you. Most HGTV shows don't make it. If we, you know, if they have 60 or 70 pilots a year, maybe three or four of those make it. But he said, if just for 15 minutes, if you guys can have a platform where you can talk about what you really care about, don't you think it would be worth it? And so we, yeah, we, we went home, we prayed about it. We talked about it and really, before we started the show, that just that became our why was yeah. the nonprofit work. And so, you know, it's been hard. It's been a hard five years. It's been busy. It's um, it's been no control over our schedule. It's, uh, you know, we start filming beginning part of April. This year will probably end middle December. But, you know, when during those hard days, we, you know, it it could be Jenny, it could be me. We'll look over and say, hey, let's just remember our why today. Remember our mm. why. And so trying to refocus ourselves on why we said yes and why we do this and why we're here. And but, yeah, it was probably my fault um, just because <laughs> I, you know, I thought 
Well, I just never thought it would go anywhere. I thought, you know, we'd do a pilot it yeah. would air on TV and that'd be something I could always say. And yeah, um, yeah here we are. Well, I want to get to the why. Um, and you've alluded to it a little bit. And for people that don't know your story and your heart for adoption, and this is another one of the reasons that I really wanted to have you guys on, um, just because this is, uh, I mean, while my family and I uh, have not had the opportunity to adopt yet, we have not shut the door on that. <laughs> um, we're kind of waiting for sometimes, you know, it's a long, complicated thing. And uh, you, know, oh, you never know. Yeah. Um, but we have a huge heart for supporting foster families and adoptive families. And um, uh, both my husband and I have uh, taken multiple, many, many, many <laughs> um, trips to Kenya. We have um, deep relationships um, with uh, friends and uh, we call a spiritual family there. And so um, and I know that that's, um, you know, such a you know, this is such a part of your story. And so I would love for you guys to share a little bit about that why and how um, your story of adoption and um, empowering orphans uh, has really woven itself into the fabric of not only your marriage, um, but your lives, uh, the work that you do, um, and so much more. Oh yeah, that's a yeah, that's complicated. Um, I love that you said that you have you know deep relationships with your your spiritual family in Kenya. That's kind of how we feel about our family, our leaders in Zimbabwe of our yeah. nonprofit program, and that's really, I mean, they're doing all the hard work every day. Right. And the reason that I mean, this has been. I actually had a time hop thing that reminded me ten years ago, two days ago in October. Um, was when I did my first little fundraiser that kind of started. That's what started. We ended up starting a nonprofit and all this, but it was 10 years ago. Basically the kids in Sylvie's orphanage were um, our daughter who we were in the process of adopting. They just weren't being fed at all. Mm -hmm. And so I did a fundraiser to raise money for food, just like urgent, they need food. And Sylvie wasn't living there at the time. We had moved her out of the orphanage, but we... I asked a couple other adoptive moms and we did this fundraiser and raised enough money to feed. Like, I think that, I can't remember. I think it was two different orphanages for a month. And then I was like, well, we should do it again. So we just kind of kept doing it. Then, then a friend in the community said, Hey, I want to start this music concert series, but I don't want to make any money from it. Can I give it to your, and at the time we had started this nonprofit. He's like, can I give the money to you guys? I'm like, yeah, okay. And so it was just became this thing. And, and then we ended up feeding like 200 kids every month. And the, we partnered with a nonprofit and this was in the Congo where Sylvia was from. And we partnered with a nonprofit there. They ended up kind of absorbing the program and it sort of just took on a life of its own with their own nonprofit. And we had this money still coming in that our leader in the Congo told us, Hey, I, I don't really feel comfortable with you guys sending any money right now because of the political instability in our mm, country. I can't yeah. promise where the money's going to go. Yeah. And we're working everything. And so it kind of felt like it was just this crazy, weird period of like, what? Like, we just did all this work. We have this momentum. And now God just literally slammed the door. And there's so much need still there. But our leader um, at the time, who is just a really good man, was it had so much integrity to say, I can't accept it because, because we said, like, we're asking people for money. We want to know exactly where every dollar, if somebody's giving $5 or somebody's giving $500, it doesn't matter. It's their hard-earned money. We have a responsibility to know where every single penny is going. And he basically told us when he was on the ground and he said, I can't, I can't tell you that I can make sure the money is going where it needs to just because of what's happening in our country. Right. 
we paused that program and we were like, what do we do? Oh my gosh. And we ended up partnering with an organization that's actually out of North Carolina, um, where you are, but um, they are friends of ours who had work already happening in Africa. And Dave had gone with them to visit the Congo because we were trying to expand our program in Congo with them. And on the trip, when he first went, they stopped in Zimbabwe on the way home and he met um, Pastor John and his wife, Orpa, who had been quietly running their ministry of caring for the kids in their community for, you know, since the eighties at that point. And he's just the, you know, the kind of person, like you just bond with certain people. And so Dave came home just raving about this Pastor John and Orba. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to meet them. Those sounds so amazing. And I was um, pregnant at the time, so I didn't go on the trip, but fast forward to 2016, I think we went as a family visited John and Orpa. We decided this is, you know, you guys are like, they just became dear, dear, dear friends are yeah. kind of like grandparent figures to our kids. Um, the work that they're doing is just, they just really are caring for the community really, really well. They're just very, the only word I could think of would be like humble servants. That's just who they are. And yeah. so we've just partnered with them. And one of the John's dreams has always been to care for the teenage boys specifically in the community, because they're going to lead their families and they're orphaned and abandoned boys. And if they're going out they're it's just going to keep, it's never going to break the cycle because the women had, the girls had opportunities with trade schools and different things, but there weren't really very many opportunities for boys. Pretty much if they were orphaned or abandoned and living on the streets, they were looked at, you know, as trouble. They're just trouble. Nobody wants to, wanted to help them. Um, because they're sort of like too far gone. Right. And so John really had a heart for those boys. And so do we. And so we started, he had a dream to start this training program and farming for them. And we have a farm. We have a farm here and we had, we're just about to launch our farm. We had planted the blueberries three years before, two years before, two or three years. And we were about to have our first harvest and we weren't, and we knew we wanted it to go to a nonprofit. We just didn't know where and yeah. how exactly. So that was in January. And in June, we had our first harvest and we started the program there. So now um, we have, it's an, it's an agricultural, it's basically a trade program for or orphan abandoned teens, girls and boys. Um, we have dorms there now and they go through this program and they learn life skills. They learn how to farm, they learn how to weld, how to sew, all the things, the science, all of that. But they feed the kids at the orphanages and then they sell product in the community. They basically, it's, you know, teaching a man to fish versus giving him a fish, that right. concept. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of where we are with that. Um, and I think all of that started because of our adoption process. And I think, I know God broke our hearts for the extreme poverty around the globe. Um, obviously, there's so much brokenness here at home as well. But I feel like God puts places on your hearts and he put Africa on our heart. He just did. And specifically Congo and Zimbabwe. Mm. Oh, I think because of our adoption process, it took us two years to get Sylvie home and involved multiple trips, it involved creating relationships, like you said. And it's all about relationships. It's about these people that we care about and we want to help make their community better. It's not um, about coming in and changing everything and making right. it our way. It's about helping our friends um, or you know, lending a hand because we do have resources here that they don't have, but they know what their community needs. We don't know what their community needs. So we're not going to go in and tell them what to do, but if we can help them with the resources, then they can go do it because that's, you know, they're fully capable of making change. So, yeah, sorry. I kind of, I don't know. Did that answer the question? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. 
So we'll talk about how adoption really came into your the fabric of your lives. Like I know that, you know, and and it's not that there's really people out there that are like, you know, what is terrible is taking care of orphans. Like no one's like no one's saying that. However, like the reality is, is adoption, fostering really, I mean, that is something you have to be called to. It is not an easy process. It's not, I mean, it's, there's trauma on every level. I mean, adoption is beautiful, but at the root of it is trauma and brokenness and separation of, of, you know, a child from the, their biological family and their culture or, or whatever. I mean, there's, there's so much pain and brokenness involved in adoption in addition to restoration and redemption and beauty and so yes. many things. So, you know, it is something you have to be called to. And so was this something early on in your marriage you knew that you were both called to or where did it come in to the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I th- we we always, um, adoption was always important to uh, both of us. I think we've both, Jenny was always good about waiting and, you know, we, we, have, we had our twin boys. Um, we had actually started the adoption process before we had um, our, the twin biological boys. And, you know, as uh, so we paused our adoption process um, and then, you know, our boys were how old when we started again, 18 months, 18 months. And we both kind of just started talking about adoption again. And it's just like you said, it's something that I think we've always had a heart for and has always been important to us. When we went to Africa, I think it that it changed, well, at least for me, it changed from even just adoption to more family preservation, keeping families together. And so I think that's kind of the where we've gone from, you know, just wanting to adopt to now starting these farming and training programs is as much as, you know, it's Sylvie's our, our little girl and having her here is, is the most amazing thing ever. I would love a world where a mom didn't ever have to make the choice to give Sylvia. And so if we can keep kiddos with their family, that that's kind of, like that's the the path that we've taken from, you know, from our trips over there. Yeah, but I think what you said is so good because I have so many, so many adopted mom friends, foster mom, foster family friends. Um, we support foster organizations in our community because they're like, or I'm sorry, organizations that care for foster families because they really right. need so much support. They do. I think that there's a lot of misconceptions around adoption and foster care and and yeah, you have the pretty, you know, the fun homecoming photos and the smiling photos and all of that. But they're like, just like you said, they're so it's all rooted in brokenness and you have to be called to it because yeah. if you're not, then you are, there's no, I don't even know what you, why would, I don't understand how you could step into adoption or foster care without having a true calling from God that that's your path. And for us, we had so many really tangible very distinct confirmations from God that when we were on our path to adopt Sylvie, that she is our daughter and you, we have to fight for her and we have to, we're going to bring her home. And if we didn't have all of those, I think it, it would have just been impossible for us to, because well, I think we would have given up. Well, I don't know that, but I think it would have been really hard. I mean, the process itself was really hard. It took us two years to get her home, but that's not even the hardest part. The hardest part has been the past nine years, having her home and having to help her to heal. I mean, the first two years of life, your brain is formed. Every cell, like everything is, is formed in those years. And so the, it's not like you come home and everything's fine. Like we're now home. Yay. You have a family. You should be grateful because I think 
And for me, I get really, I get really, oh, mama bear when people are like, she's, she's so lucky. She has you as a family. I'm like, she's not lucky. I promise you (laughs) she's Mm -hmm. had to endure more in her life than most anyone that I personally know. And she's strong and she's yes, resilient. But I think that the word resilience only goes so far. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's just like, nobody wants to step into the really hard because it's uncomfortable. So it's better to say kids are resilient. Yay. You're happy family, tie a bow and move on. Um, so I think it's important to really acknowledge that trauma is, is really hard and it's hard on the whole family. And there's so much beauty and adoption and redemption and all of that, but it is all very much rooted in trauma and loss and brokenness, which is it's just the reality. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, but I love I love how you uh, you always bring it back to just centering the, you know, the lives of these children and just, you know, um, because, you know, that is not always the case. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that's such an important component. Well, so for people, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, no, I was going to also say for our, for our other kids, our biological kids too, Sylvie's siblings, like they've, they've seen, like they've experienced trauma because of the adoption process mm. and because of everything that, I mean, they've experienced it and lived it out. But I think that their hearts have also been shaped and formed in yeah. a way that wouldn't have happened had they not walked through this with, with their sister. Um, when we all traveled together to Africa I think it hit them in a new way. And they were little at the time. The boys were only six at the time. Charlotte was two. So she was, she's kind of two. I would say mostly it's the boys who were really impacted seeing like, oh, okay. Like it just was a different, I don't know. Like they got to see and understand like, oh, I get it. Like this is, this is, I don't know. The the brokenness was real for them. And they're like, okay. And they saw their sister kind of in a new light and all the hurt and yeah. stuff that she brought into their lives. They kind of, had a new perspective and appreciation for her. And, um, but all that to say, like, I, I remember distinctly one time we were at this concert and, um, they, it was Chris Tomlin and he was talking about his, his non, his work, his nonprofit work. And he asked adoptive parents to stand up and, you know, they applause, um, adoptive parents. And my boys were with me. It was me and the boys. We did like this date night thing with the boys. And I stood up, like, I didn't even, I didn't want to stand up, but, you know, and they, my boys were like, mom, you got to stand up, you got to stand up. And they were cheering and they were so proud. And like, for me in that moment, it was like God saying, Jenny, they're going to be okay. Like, see, they see it. They know mm-hmm. that you've all walked through hard, but they've seen me in it. They've seen the restoration. They've seen the good and they have these generous hearts um, for the world and for the the hurting and the oppressed and broken. And I think that they seek out those people in in ways that they wouldn't have. And they know how to love in ways they would never learned had we not walked through hard, hard brokenness, you know, and healing in our own home. Yeah, And we still, I mean, it's something that it doesn't ever stop. Like there's, you know, there's, there's always, there's always hard along with the good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with Jenny and Dave to let you know that Right now, you can go pre-order my book, which comes out March 26th, 2024. My book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, How Death, Debt, and Comedy Led to a Life of Faith, Farming, and Forgetting What I Came Into This Room For is now available for pre-order. Go get your copy now. It is a huge, huge, huge help 
to authors to pre-order their book, but also that just means that on the day it comes out, it will be on your doorstep waiting for you to crack it open. I cannot wait for you to read this book and for you to know that your broken mess up story is it's never too late. It's never too late to turn your life around that your broken and mess up story has a purpose. I know that you're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to laugh till you cry. It's such a fun book. I can't wait for you to read it. And so go pre-order it now. You can go to stillbeingmolly.com to find out more. And you can also just get it wherever books are sold. Now back to my chat with Jenny and Dave Mars. So for people that might not understand how, okay, so they're like, okay, so HGTV comes along and says, you know, we want to do a show. How have you kept the mission and the why as the for at the forefront of it? Um, because, you know, on paper, you know, oh, uh, a fixer upper, like rest home restoration show doesn't necessarily correlate directly with compassion for orphans. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, so like no. on paper, it might not make just make sense to someone. But you know, how do you use this, um, this tool of, um, you know, a show yeah. and a large platform to be able to really actually talk about the thing that you care about the most? On the show itself, it's been, it's been hard because obviously, I guess not obvious, maybe that's not the right word, but the network isn't necessarily like advocating for us to be talking about these things on their show, right? On our show, right? They, they want their, they know their viewers. They know the viewers just want to watch a home renovation show. Like they don't want to hear about something, any, you know, even though I disagree, I think people really do care, but they don't like to include it on the show. So it is a bit of a challenge and it's kind of a battle every year. We try to sneak in little things here and there. And we, you know, we, the first time they aired our Berry Fest, which is our big fundraiser in our Berry Farm that funds our farm program in Zimbabwe, we were so excited. It was like such a huge win. And it's kind of a constant like battle in that front. But in the everyday, like this, the show itself is just our job, like renovation work, building, all of that is our job. We do that anyway. And so it really doesn't, it's not like we don't live in Hollywood and go to a set. We just go to work. And so the day-to-day is, it is what it is. It's just in our everyday life. And then the way, like every summer, our kids are working in the berry fields and on, you know, social media, we're talking about the things we care about whenever it makes sense. You know, I mean, I think we just, do it in a way that's not normal and natural. I don't well, know. and the show, I mean, it's obvious. It's given us a platform to talk about it. Right. I mean, we probably wouldn't be on your podcast if we didn't have a show. Yeah. So that that enables us to, you know, to put forward more so what we want to talk about. And the network was upfront with us. They said, hey, year one, people could care less about your family. They care about the renovations that you do. If you get on to years two, three, four, five different seasons, that shift starts to happen where viewers are more invested in your family and less so in the renovations that you do. So then every year you get to talk a little bit more about this stuff that is more personal um, where, you know, I, th- I th- think now at this point, they like to see more of the personal stuff. They like to yeah. see more of the kids. They like to see more of, you know, the everyday life stuff and not there's not so much of a focus on the renovations as there was in in season one yeah. um so you know i mean it's 
but, but also our kids are older and they don't really want to be on. Yeah. like so it's hard to talk about it like when we started the kids were little and we were like oh this is great because it's very easy to talk about adoption because obviously we're a transracial adoptive family it's it's very obvious just looking at us where now the big kids don't want to be on tv and sylvie especially doesn't want to be on tv and we would never force the kids to be when we're filming to be on the show um so it's become i don't know it's just i don't know we just kind of weave it in normally yeah. naturally yeah. yeah well one of the things you talked about at the beginning um was your heart for older homes and historic homes mm-hmm. and the restoration process yeah. of that which um i love so much because i grew up in an old home i grew up in a like early 1900s, I think it was actually built in 1900, um, for a farmhouse in a small town in Virginia called Herndon, um, which was like a little historic town outside of DC. Now, of course, it's like, you know, a bustling metropolis because like AOL moved in there in the 90s. And then after that, it was like all the tech companies. And now it's, you know, it's 20 minutes outside of DC. But, um, you know, it has a really, um, like a lot of, uh, really cool historic homes. Like some movies have been filmed there and, um, and, uh, the house I grew up in was again, this kind of, this old historic home. And it was cool because, you know, when I was growing up, my mom, so my mom bought it in, I want to say it was like 1980 and she bought it. She had moved, uh, she was a Vietnam veteran and she was kind of going through her, uh, you know, therapy and PTSD and post-war stuff. And she'd moved back from, um, to Herndon from California and she wanted to buy this house and she goes and she looks at it and it had, uh, no indoor plumbing. It had no HVAC, no HVAC system. Um, it had a single electrical outlet that was running extension cords like all throughout the house. Um, wow. And it had a bay window that when she walked in, she had the, she saw the bay window and she pictured a Christmas tree there. And she said, wow. this is the house I want to buy. And um, but, you know, it had like the horsehair insulation and all. And so, of course, this is like way before, you know, the the HGTV <laughs> renovation shows. Yeah. And, um, you know, she eventually met my dad who uh, knew how to do drywall. And so obviously, like he she fell in love with him because he knew how to do drywall. And (laughs) and, um, so I mean, my my entire childhood was like a life of a fixer upper because it was just it had so much character and quirk and. But I, I loved it. And I loved that house. My parents were married in the living room of that house. You know, I was christened in the living room. And but then we started uncovering all these really cool stories about it. Like at one time it was a school. Then at one time it was a parsonage. And, um, you know, the 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 guy Patch Adams, like the Robin Williams movie. Yeah. So it turns yeah. out we learned that um, when Patch Adams, like the real Patch Adams, not Robin Williams, but when the real Patch Adams was building his hospital, in West Virginia, he actually lived in our house with his like, I guess he called them his zanies, um, oh like while he was like building that. So I just like, oh. I'm like, I patch Adams lived in my house. <laughs> um, cool. But anyway, like, so I think growing up in that in that house and in that world where it's just everything about it told a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love, love old homes because of that. Um, and our town always did like a historic homes tour and like we were the literal poster child for it and all of that. 
So I share all of that to say, you know, obviously that just that is a a huge part of my heart. And so I would love for you to share, you know, kind of how that became a part of why you became so passionate about it. Um, And, you know, even just some of the things that you've kind of come across as you go in, because I think there's such a deeper meaning to it, too, where you were talking about like the restoration, the stories that these homes tell. Um, And I love it. There's no wasted space. (laughs) Um, You know, so uh, I'd love for you to, to share a little bit about that. I don't know. I think we both just love, love old there. Like you said, there, there's like a quirkiness there. There's so much character um, built in already. We live, our home is 1903. Yeah. And yeah, it's smaller and we have to use every little inch, but we love it. Same. I think it's just, like you said, the stories, like we, I just think of the, one of the first houses we remodeled together, we found when we were opening up a wall, we found letters, postcards home from World War II. Yeah. Was it World War II? Oh, to, that's so cool. To his bride or, I don't know, girlfriend, wife, I don't know. Um, but we found these letters in the wall. And just the idea of like, these homes have told stories for, or held stories for so many years. Like you were, like the stories you just told about your house. Like, imagine how many, oops, sorry. <laughs> imagine how many stories for the hundred years before you were there were in that home. And so I think for us, it's all about, preserving history. Like we love, we both love history and love just the life that happens in a home. And I think without, when it's just like a cookie cutter home that's built really quickly, there's no character, there's no life, there's no soul to it. And historic homes just already have all that built in. That's mm-hmm. what I love about them. Yeah. Like you're probably more on the craftsman side. No, I mean, I, yeah, I love the way that they were built. I love that the apprentices and the craftsmen that, that craftsmen that built these homes um, you can tell uh, just in the quality of them how, you know, that it was just it was a different time there. Mm-hmm. They were building a house for generations, mm-hmm. not just for the next few years until it could be sold again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our house, we actually, we actually got contracted to tear our house down by a church um, in our little town. Um, they were going to expand their parking lot. And I just it was such a cool old home. And so we convinced them to give us the home. They wouldn't have to spend the money on the teardown. And so we actually moved our home out to our farm uh, that we live on now. And yeah, it's we've been here now for what, 10, 10 years. For 10 years. Wow. Uh, we've owned the house for about 13. And when we started on renovations, it horsehair plaster everywhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, all solid oak, the way it was built. And we've, you know, as our family has grown and changed, um, we've just, you know, we've we've adapted the house to fit our family's needs, but all with, you know, kind of within that same footprint of what we moved out, what we moved out here. And we do, we have uh, the bay window that you were talking about. We have that same bay window yeah, that our Christmas right. tree goes in yep. every single year. Uh, we've yeah, got branding, like like you said. There's always like right now we're in a construction zone because we're remodeling again because we're moving everyone around. But that's also kind of I don't know. Well, your your family's story changes as the you know we yeah. when we moved out here ten years ago our our twins were just about to turn four now they're bigger than Jenny is I mean yeah. they're fourteen <laughs> and yeah. so and, and thirteen and they they share a room and so that it just doesn't work anymore um, and so we're kind of you know it, it's there's always a shift and a juggle to um, to make it fit our family's current needs but you know we we've kind of both. We're, we're of the mindset we don't want to move again we, we love this like you know we, we brought sylvie home in this house we have we had charlotte and luke in this house our boys have 
you know, raised, they're out on the farm and like all, all the stories that we have, it's part of our family's mm-hmm. overall story. This house is a big part of it. Yeah. And, you know, we're still, mm-hmm. it's still working well for us. So uh, I don't want to, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go anywhere else. Okay. Quick logistical question. Cause you kind of just said it. And then I'm like, wait a second. Did you say what I think you said? Like, so you physically moved the house. Oh, we yes. did. Okay. We actually- I have a logistical question as to like, how do you move a house? So you shut a highway down for about three hours on a Sunday morning. Um, but you, it takes about a month of prep. It takes about a month. So we took the roof off. They lift, we lifted the roof off in three sections and then we lifted the main floor up in just one section. Uh, and they, they use hydraulic jacks and they, they raised the whole house off its foundation and then, you know, set I-beams under it. And then but you had, we had already poured a foundation here. Yeah. So when we moved it across town, it got set back on the foundation. Yeah, so we we took it through our old historic downtown out a highway about 8 miles out to some some land that we have out here and we couldn't turn we couldn't get up our the dirt road that we live on so we went through a neighbor's field until the semi truck in the house sunk down in the mud and dirt and then we got <gasps> a few bulldozers and pulled it the rest of the way onto the foundation and I'll tell you something all single, you know, like original glass and that house mover, they did not break or crack one piece of glass. I mean, and we moved it 10 miles. So it can be done. Um, and we've moved several houses since then, um, just to, again, preserve old houses. Uh, but yeah, it's a, a lot of people, a lot of, I mean, it's just part of it. People are moving downtown again to our little downtown and they're tearing houses down and building something new. So whenever we can, if we, I mean, we haven't done a lot, I'd say three three times. If we can, we, we move the house out and to another lot and restore it. And, you know, when we can, because we love old houses. And I feel like when they get torn down, it just changes the whole character of the town. You were talking about the town you grew up in and how different it is now. Like that we're seeing that happen over the, I would say the past 10 years in our town, it's changed a lot and it makes me sad. So I'm trying, we're trying, we fight against it as much as we can. I know. (laughs) Okay. So then then my second question, I'm, I'm fascinated by the logistics of moving a house. I just, (laughs) I don't know why that is like, my brain is sitting here going like, how do you move a house? I mean, I know it's it's not like a, that's not like a trade. You know what I mean? Like, See, looking back, we probably we said we probably would have should should have just rebuilt the second story instead of moving it and placing it back on because it was more complicated. But I also love it that it has all the quirks and stuff. So I love yeah. it. Yeah, amazing. Okay, and then this question because you were kind of saying you know you were talking about how you have these houses and these neighborhoods that just get you know, they buy people, you know, developers buy up these land, you know, plots of land, and then they just come in and they build these neighborhoods with a cul-de-sac and cookie cutter houses. And, you know, I mean, I have lived in those neighborhoods. um, And now we live, you know, on uh, a farm. Um, While it's not, it's an 80s farmhouse. It's not, you know, from the 1980s. But yeah, it's, it's been so fascinating to me, because especially in the last few years, like post COVID, I mean, the, you know, I don't know how it is in Arkansas. I know how it is in North Carolina. And home construction is just 
insane. Um, so many people are, are building, are buying land and building. I mean, one, because I mean, actually though, I think it was in like us news and rural report, like USA today, like Raleigh Durham is like one of the fastest growing, uh, Mm -hmm. areas in the country. And, um, we just have people moving here. Like the, what we bought our current farm, we've only lived here three years. Like we could sell it for easily almost a half a million dollars more than what we paid for it. Like we, wow. what we paid for our current house on 12 and a half acres, like people are buying cookie cutter houses on a quarter acre right. lot in a neighborhood. Right. And both my husband and I are like, how did this happen? Like we are just like, what? Um, and so because of that, you know, people are like, okay, well, we're going to just buy land and build or, you know, we're going to build right. a home or whatever. And I've thought about this a lot. Like, you know, it's for maybe for some people, they don't think about this, but I do. Um is, you know, you look forward 50, 60, 70, 100 years when the homes that are being built now are the old homes. They're 100-year-old yeah. homes. Yeah. Like, they're not going to be like the 100-year-old homes of today, of my childhood. Right. And what what is the shift? Like, what's the cultural shift in homes? Because it's not like, you know, you go to downtown Bentonville or I go to downtown Herndon. It's not like people were living on large plots of land, but it was every house was unique and special and different. And it wasn't this cookie cutter thing. And so I'm just curious about the cultural shift that has caused the homes that are being built today to be less individualistic and unique and special. Special. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. And I think you actually answered the question when you were asking it as far as just what property values are doing. It's the same in our little downtown. They take a little thousand square foot house and they tear it down because they can put on that same lot a 3000 square foot house that is worth triple Hmm. what it was. So I think you're having a shift of people looking more so into the investment of the home and what they can resell the home for versus their family living in it for generations and yeah, making it different. making it fit. So yeah, like we we are res- helping a friend in Italy actually restore her uh, farmhouse that they bought and it's been really fun. It's like dream job, but <laughs> it's so different there. I think in a lot of places in Europe, but especially Italy that a lot of family like families have owned these homes for generations. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same family. Like, 3 400 years. Yeah, they're yeah. not nobody's buying a house they, unless they're an, unless they're a foreigner, but they're not typically buying a house, restoring it, and selling it. They're literally living in the house that their parents and those their parents and their parents and their parents lived in. And if they are buying a new house, uh, a new old house to restore it, it's to restore it to live in it. It's not there. It's not this like investment mentality like we have. I think we have that like flipper mentality too here. Unfortunately, mm. probably HDTV probably contributed to that. Um, not our show, but others. But I think. <laughs> All yes, of them. all of them. But I think that that's, um, I think it's just a different mentality. And it is, I mean, and a home is an investment and that's okay. Like that also is okay. Like we, when we first started building, we would live in a house while we restored it and then sell it and move to the next one and do the same thing. Like that's just. Well, and our tax laws, our tax laws, construction lobbyists, that it's all about building a house to resell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what else in America can you keep $500,000 tax-free for living somewhere two years? Right. There's no and so um, I think as long as tax laws are that way, as long as, well, I think another thing, you know, from COVID, a lot of companies and a lot of people realize they could live places they want to actually be 
and they could, you know, and they could do it and still do their job. So right. you're seeing places like North Carolina, you're seeing places like Bentonville, Arkansas, you're seeing places that have a lot more temperate climate than maybe a Pittsburgh or maybe a, you know, Buffalo or, you know, that, yeah. that people are like, wait, I can still work for the same company and I can live somewhere where I get four full seasons yeah. and it's half the price of where I'm moving from. That's a no brainer. So we've seen prices go through the roof here in Bentonville. But yeah. they're selling a million dollar condo in San Francisco and then buying a million dollar, 3000 square foot house right. in Bentonville. So, I mean, who's the sucker in that situation? <laughs> like they're getting a lot more value yeah. coming here. Than, and we're, I think we're just used to lower prices because we were never, we were never the areas with, with the AOLs, with the, you know, with the Googles, with, you know, that, that have the, the, you know, what what some of those cities have. So um, you're seeing that shift now. And, Mm. you know, I mean, North Carolina is one of those states that has low taxes or, you know, a lot lower taxes than California. And so, so many people that we build houses for and do renovations that have moved here from California. So many, you know, yeah, yeah, they're leaving a better climate, but they're getting half the tax rate. They're getting the schools they want. They're getting you know, X, Y, and Z, and they can still do their job that's in California. Right. Yeah. No, man, I could unpack so much of that because there's, yeah, I I feel like there is so much of that that is like just change in culture and change in how we do things. And um, like, it's actually, you know, before we were recording, I was telling you about how I, you know, chaperoned a field trip to Grandfather Mountain um, for my daughter's fourth grade class. And we were driving home from the field trip and uh, I, I ended up riding with my daughter's best friend's mom. And so, you know, we'd been in the car together all day, you know, to the mountains and around the mountains and back. And we were driving through Morganton, uh, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, it's it's you know, just kind of at the base of the mountains and really as you're starting to go up the mountain and you know, we were driving and it was just, it's another example of, I mean, there's a million Morgantons, you know, as far as like, there are just a ton of abandoned, um, warehouses and about abandoned old homes and abandoned, uh, like downtown areas that you just look at. And I, I look at those places and I go, man, like, what did this place look like in its heyday? Like when it was, when Morganton was a bustling metropolis and, you know, Oh, and so we, we do were, a lot of road trips and we always say that we're like, man, you drive through towns and you're like, hush, it's so sad. Like, yes. what this yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, and then, so then we started talking about just like how, you know, North Carolina was, was this hub for textile manufacturing and furniture manufacturing. And so you had, I mean, North Carolina being one of the top states in the country at one time, you know, for really the craftsmanship. And so, of course, you have all these people that are living in these towns working. They're they're all working at the cotton mill. They're all working at the furniture factory. They're all working, you know, uh, in these in these factories. And then, of course, like because they're craftsmen, like that's what they're building for their own homes and and things. And then but then those those jobs and those, um, you know, factories end up getting shut down and then those people move. And and nobody's like, you know where I'm going to move? Morganton. Like, it's just not. Yeah. And so I'm fascinated as to like what those towns and and those homes and those areas will look like even in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years when the people who live there their whole lives, like when they eventually die off, 
you know, right. what's going to happen to these areas. Um, anyway, these are really deep, like existential thoughts uh, that I hadn't really thought that we were going to get to. Um, um, and I know we're running out of time. Um, but, uh, but I really just appreciate how you guys, um, again, you, you, you t- get to talk about these things. And, and while it might be like, oh, it's, you know, under the, the kind of the banner of a fun renovation show, like there's something so much deeper to it. And you really wow. get to the heart of what makes a house a home. Um, and I know that's such uh, just the heartbeat of what you do is, um, you know, house plus love equals home. Um, and so uh, talk about uh, the book that is coming out. Actually, by the time this airs, your book will be out. Uh, so congratulations, by the way, on I always like to applaud my um, guests <laughs> who are releasing a book. Um, I really Release my first book in the spring and or I'm releasing my first book in the spring. And so I know I'm what a labor of love it is. Um so congratulations. So but tell us about the book and uh you know where people can get it and all of the the book things. Yeah, no, it's been a definite labor of love, something that I've been working on for a really long time and then really concentrated on probably last 18 months and it was just yeah, it was a lot of work. But um <laughs> basically the book is um about just intentional living, really carving out spaces in your home with intentionality. It's a lot about what we just talked about too, about not being so caught up in the resale value of your home and making your home work for your family. I think that's a really hard thing for people to wrap their minds around, even if they're not like doing it for investment purposes. They just have this, our culture has this mentality of you have to make sure you're doing these things because of resale value. But yeah. if you're not planning on selling your home, and even if you are, oh, make it work for you. Love your home. You're here. You're right. living in it. It's the place where you spend most of your time. Um, and it's really just about trying, you know, giving you permission to be creative with your home and your spaces, um, rethinking spaces to work for your family. And mostly just like, hopefully, again, just an encouragement for people to think about their home differently. Um, I think that, you know, again, it's like it's this safe place that you want your kids to come back to again and again as they after they grow up and remember fondly and even if you don't live there anymore like we all remember our childhood homes especially if we lived in the same place for a long time that and song by Miranda Lambert the house that helped me literally makes me cry every time I hear it because yes. I'm like that's my, that's my house that's what I know. Is, you know but oh, I think that's that's why that house that that song was so uh successful because there's so many people saw them like saw themselves yeah. heard themselves in that song Yes. And not everyone has that experience, but that's okay because you can give yourself that experience and you don't have to be in a home. You can be in an apartment, you can be in a rental. It doesn't right. matter. It's wherever you are making that place feel like who you are and putting your stamp on it while you live there. I mean, you can always paint the walls back and sell it. It doesn't matter. You know, like you can make changes and take risks. And um, I don't know, it's about giving yourself permission to love the space where you live. And um, each chapter is focused on a different space in your home. Um, and then I, do, I tell a lot of stories about our family and our life throughout the book. Yeah. So it's a little bit, it's not like a, just how to design a living room, you know, it's more just like, Hey, this is some, here's some stories like in the living room chapter, I talk about our Christmas mornings and what they look like mm. and what they feel like and what I love about them. And so, it, and it's just, and then I share stories of, you know, homes that we've done. And, and again, it's not like, this is what you have to do. This is just what we do in our home. And these are what some of our clients, what we did for them right. and take that and pull from that, what inspiration you can, but really use it as a, as a place where hopefully you read the essays. Cause that, 
I love them because I worked really hard on them. Yeah. But read them, be inspired and like think through like, okay, what do I want? What do I want my kids to think about with our living room? What's the best, what's a story from our own living room that we, you know, I can look back on and I don't know. I think it's more about just the intentionality behind the space, not how to make it perfect because it's not ever going to be perfect. And if it is, you live in a perfect home and you do have kids and pets and, or if it's just you by yourself, (laughs) then your home is not really lived in because there's no such thing as a perfect home that's really lived in. You know, if your if your kids are like our kitchen table right now, there's paint, there's paint supplies, there's a half painted pumpkin, there's just random stuff, and that's part of life. Like that's real life happening. And I think giving yourself permission to say there's beauty in this mess because it is my it's life happening, and mm. that's good. Um, it doesn't matter if it's not a perfect photo for Instagram. Who cares? Who cares? You know, giving yourself permission to let go of those expectations that other people have of you and your home and, you know, embracing life and life happening under your roof. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Because uh, I I admit that um, I'm somebody who I don't need an Instagram worthy home. But I will admit that like clutter and things everywhere and children's (laughs) socks and random like worksheets from school and art yeah. crap like all over my house stresses me out. I'm not even going to lie. Like it's just, there are yes. times where I'm like, I burn it all down. Like I just am done. Um, but then I, I yeah, totally yeah. normal. But then Perfect. I have to be like, okay, uh, you know what? Like <laughs> my kids are young and we're going to hang the, the silly artwork on the wall and we're going to like, you know, someday my kids are going to not have socks on the, my floor because they're not going to live here anymore. Um, I don't know why they choose to put the socks in, on the floor or on my kitchen counter. I don't know why. I, I just want to go. I don't. Do your children do this? I just need to ask. Like, do your kids come in the house and just take off their socks and just like throw them? Like, <laughs> and shoes, socks, shoes, everything. We, I like, talk about our mudroom and we have hooks for backpacks and all the things, you know. No, they're never they're all on the ground. They're on never. the ground. Why? Why don't you put them on the hook? The hook is there. Why? The hook is right it's there. Just, I don't know. Like, just but this morning. I do feel like we had to have had a really sweet gift in that Luke, our youngest, we had four, four and under at a, in a season and it was chaos. But now those four are big, the big kids and we have Luke and it just gives this perspective of like, oh my gosh, like the little crazy mm. toys, Lego sculptures, they do go away and it goes mm. really fast. Like, you know, the 13 year olds aren't doing that anymore. They're, they don't have toys. They don't have Legos where Luke does now. And I appreciate his Lego creations and his little toys around and the stuff on my kitchen table that he plays with so much more now because mm. I know it's going to be gone so soon. And like, yeah, the teen, the preteens and teens, they have the cups in the room and the trash and all that. Like that's annoying. <laughs> the, but cups. the cups. <laughs> Every season there's something, you know, but then again, like you said, I do know it goes in a blink, an absolute blink. And so if I, if I can appreciate today where we are today and I can have that perspective it doesn't, it doesn't happen all the time. Cause believe me, I go crazy. I'm like, ah, the piles and the stuff. I that. <laughs> but it's also like, that's what I hope this book is, as a reminder to like, appreciate those things too. Cause yeah. there, there's a balance of, and, and everybody has them and it's okay to have them, but they're not going to be there forever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What is it with the drinking vessels? I cleaned out my daughter's room last week and there was nine yes. drinking vessels. I was yes. like, what are, what are you doing? What, how, are you, how thirsty are you? <laughs> 
And then and then I remember my son who's seven. Uh he was like, I was like, Did you clean your room, buddy? He's like, Yeah, yeah, I did. And then I went upstairs yes. and I found and never no. I went upstairs and found an entire like j- plate full of like old snacks yeah. and just, oh, yeah. just what yeah. is happening in here? Anyway. Oh man. Okay. Well, this has been uh fantastic. Uh tell people where they can best connect with you guys, um, where they can get the book, um, all those things if people want to follow more of what you do and, and support the work that you guys are doing, um, especially on the nonprofit side. Thanks. So, um, well, Fixer to Fabulous is airing now that this is on Tuesday nights at eight, seven central. Yep. Um, my book is available. It's called House Plus Love Equals Home um, everywhere that books are sold, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then um, Instagram, you're Dave.Mars and I'm mm-hmm. Jenny Mars. And that's, those are the best. I mean, we don't really do any other social media. We're not... <laughs> And keep up with it all. There's too many options. So yeah. that's where we're usually at. Awesome. Thank you guys. Oh, and that's stuff. Yeah, that's all on there. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Oh my gosh. This was such a pleasure. Um, And like I said, uh, just huge fans of your work. And uh, thank you for um, the way that you just put your faith and your why out there um, for so many people to see. It's a really awesome thing to witness. Thank you. Thanks. We appreciate your time. I hope you loved this conversation with Jenny and Dave. Please let me know what you liked on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod wherever you get your social medias. And would you head on over to whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on? Would you click that subscribe or follow button so that we make sure that you never miss a new episode of the show? And if you have a moment, would you take some time to leave a review? Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. Thank you as always for listening each week. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. See you next week. Bye. Bye.